2024 is upon us. And how do we know that? Just yesterday, the 2024 WNBA draft lottery was finally drawn. We now know which teams have put themselves in position to draft generational talent. I have M. Adler here to break down what went down in Bristol, Connecticut, along with taking us inside what she saw. She was live in Mohegan Sun, taking a peek at some of those potential prospects in the 2024 WNBA draft. The Locked on Women's Basketball podcast, it starts right now. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello and welcome. You are Locked On to Women's Basketball. I'm Jackie Powell. And I am one of your hosts on the program. I know it's Monday. I'm usually here on Fridays, but today is Monday. Anyway, I cover the New York Liberty at the Next, which is the place that produces the Locked on Women's Basketball podcast six days a week. Um, And I've covered women's basketball nationally at a bunch of places. But anyway, enough about me. Thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, just as I said moments ago, that Locked on Women's Basketball is brought to you by everyone at The Next, a place where we cover women's basketball all the time, and we tell the stories that need to be told every day. Subscribe now to support us, the staff at The Next, that works oh so hard to bring you this coverage that matters oh so much. $9 a month or $72 for the year. Also, we've been breaking records here on the pod. We continue to grow each month in our listens, and that is all thanks to you, dear listener. Remember that Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. This episode is brought to you all by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code, all lowercase, Locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, so last time I was with you, dear listener, it was a while ago. It was right after Thanksgiving, and I had the one and only Doug Feinberg on here, and we spoke all about how rocky the AP poll has been. But now we are shifting gears back to the WNBA and back to talking about the latest WNBA news, and I have our very own M. Adler here. M. does a lot for us at the next. She spearheads a lot of the WNBA draft coverage, and she has a very unique and refreshing way at reporting on not only the WNBA, but on women's college basketball. So, M., welcome. It is always amazing to have you on. I think the first thing I want to ask you is what were your reactions to the the draft lottery, which saw the Indiana Fever winning the number one overall pick for a second straight year? 
followed by the LA Sparks, who, oh my God, I don't think they've had a lottery pick in a very long time. And then you had the Phoenix Mercury at three and then the Seattle Storm at four. So Em, what were your reactions to this order when you saw it all playing out yesterday? Well, it's funny because, so as uh, listeners on YouTube can see on our uh, little agenda on the on the uh, right side of their screen, I was at some games yesterday. I was with a number of our staff at Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut for the Hall of Fame showcase. The, the first year it was a triple header instead of the usual double header. Probably the best collection of teams, I think, outside of uh, most years battle for Atlantis, uh, if you're looking for sort of, sort of one tournament setup. And so what happened was the draft lottery happens while we're there and it actually happens it's it starts literally right as um don staley leaves the postgame presser and we get the final results in right as Alyssa peely and lynn roberts come to the stage so we have a solid two minutes i think to to react to the news and everyone huddle around like my laptop before we all turn around and watch it again and the reactions were you know disappointment for seattle obviously uh, anyone who watched the, the lottery itself could see the very relatable expression on uh, Noel Quinn's face, this, the Storm head coach. Uh, and then uh, Seattle, not Seattle, Phoenix got the number three pick, which meant that LA had jumped them and was getting a top two pick. And, you know, for the most part, everything else was pretty much chalk. You know, in terms of the odds coming into the lottery, the only change from that in the final result is that uh, Phoenix and LA switched. LA jumped Phoenix. And, you know, the, the immediate reaction is, you know, you think about what's coming into this, and that's sort of part of what I was writing about in basically the blog that came out yesterday was, you know, the initial part is sort of what are the actual ramifications of the, I shouldn't say the ramifications, but what are the actual things that are at stake with the draft lottery in terms of how, how will this shake out? How does it shake out? You know, if you're not well-versed on the actual process, and I'm not going to get into that because it's complicated, but the but the upshot is basically that, you know, the draft is a little bit nebulous with how many players in the top portion of prospects, both, you know, in terms of the public assessment and in terms of uh, the industry side, how many of them can have the option to go back to college. Page, page, in no particular order, Paige Beckers, Caitlin Clark, Cameron Brink, Leah Edwards, uh, Camila Cardoso. And so, when you look at this, you kind of you, you kind of have to think if you're sort of a fan of both college and the pro level, you know, what are the implications here for who comes out? How are the different players going to be favoring one way or the other, depending on who wins? Uh, didn't I didn't necessarily know, although I know uh, some people did going in that Caitlin Clark mm -hmm. wanted to end up in Indiana. Uh, I, I'm sure I could have found that out if I was smart enough to have asked someone. Uh, but the, the assumption I was under was sort of Indiana's close to home and her boyfriend works for the Pacers. Uh, a market like LA or Seattle is a fairly large market by the W standards and also to have varying levels of good infrastructure in some ways, at the very least, with, with some of those in terms of the, you know, the support staff and whatnot. We quickly find out after the draft, especially by uh, uh, Clark's likes on Twitter, that she was very excited about going to Indiana. Um, and uh, we have it on good record on background that, yeah, she would have more heavily considered going back to school if Indiana hadn't won, but she's almost certainly going to declare now that they have. Uh, beyond that, you know, we can get a little more into it on what it means for LA that they come in second and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's it's it it's a good result for the league in many ways. 
uh, as we'll get to when we go team by team. It's a good result for many of the teams that were in there. LA, you know, this is a great step for for their recovery. Phoenix, it is what it is. You know, th there are complicating factors. Seattle just has been good enough for too long that it's hard to really feel sorry for them. That is all fair. And that was very similar to how I, I reacted. I mean, just seeing Lynn Dunn's you know, it's like she's almost on a, a roller coaster that's going up. You see her in this video. She lifts her arms up like she just, um, like something wonderful happened. And for the Indiana Fever franchise, something wonderful did happen. After many years of difficult draft picks and unfortunate luck. And, um, Those are ways to describe it for sure. <laughs> The fever are heading in a a very promising direction. the The one thing I want to touch on before we take our first break is something you actually wrote about the New York Liberty, which I want um, our listeners, especially those who are Liberty fans, to understand this. So, if you can explain to the listeners why Phoenix getting the third pick was pretty good for New York. Right. So th there's a couple layers to it, and some of them intersect. But we'll, we'll just start with the background of it, which is, you know, listeners who have followed the W for about a calendar year at least are probably familiar with the uh, massive trade that sent, um, oh boy, the massive trade that sent Diamond to Shields to Dallas, Marina Mabry to Chicago, and exchanged a whole bunch of picks, including basically mortgaging the mortgaging the entirety of this guy's future, uh, which, you know, people have continued making fun of James Wade for, for well, basically the entirety of the season while he was still in Chicago. So you, you might re remember that aspect of it. Uh, the part of the trade that I think most people kind of memory hold or don't remember as easily just because, you know, it wasn't the focus. The, the main focus is Marina moves, Diamond moves, a bunch of draft picks move. There, it was a four-team trade, not a three-team trade. And the part of it that that really mattered in this aspect is the fact that uh, the New York Liberty sent Michaela Onyanwere, a player who was probably a good bet to be cut in camp. She yep. gets sent to Phoenix in a trade, and there are trades sometimes when players are going to get cut in camp. You know, essentially, if a team wants that player and they want to basically jump the other teams in order to acquire them. You know, they might send out a, a, a second round pick that is going to be a late round pick or late in the round in a bad draft. They'll send out a third round pick uh, just to basically, you know, jump the queue and say, you know, we're going to claim this player, but it's via trade instead of waiting for whatever to, to shake out. Uh, this is how um, Leah Brown goes from Atlanta to Connecticut last year. What's essentially just a complicated waiver claim. Um, so that's usually the cost of doing business. The cost of acquiring Michaela Onyanwere was a first-round pick, somehow. Uh, and Phoenix could have been good last year. They certainly had the potential. They ended up being quite terrible. Uh, and that sets up a year entering this year where, given their cap space, given the fact that people don't really enjoy playing there and it just hasn't been a free agency drawn God knows how long, um, given the management that they used to have, given the fact that this is going to be a franchise that needs to rebuild um, just given the outlook of the player, the, the ages of the players on the team, the lack of cost controlled young players and whatnot. This is a team that is very much 
a long shot to be a title contender. And so that first round pick is not only a good first round pick, given the state of the league and how many teams are actively trying to compete versus really at this point, only only one and I would say one and a half teams are clear, not even like trying to do title contention and that those being Seattle and the half being LA next year. Given that fact, Phoenix being so bad puts them even farther, but still trying, puts them even farther behind the eight ball. It means that that pick is probably a good bet to be a lottery pick next year. And given who is in next year's draft, and we're looking specifically, we think Paige Beckers is probably going to return. This is not necessarily based on inside info, but you know, people have different levels of temperature check on that front, on the franchise, on that program. And it, there is certainly a good chance of it. There's a chance she comes out this year. I don't want to I, I don't want to say that that we're sourcing this. It's just mm-hmm. that's the temperature check. Mm-hmm. She's going to do that. So she is a decent bet to be in that class. We could be surprised by someone else who could be a lottery pick doing that. I, I'm not trying to allude to anyone. It's just, it is literally possible. And also Janiah Barker, who's going to come out as soon as possible. She's going to be a true junior, but old enough to declare next year out of Texas A&M, who so far in basically 25 games, maybe, has looked like one of the best prospects of all time. And so... When you're coming at this from a Liberty perspective, it's entirely possible that you have two of the 10 greatest prospects in league history between Barker and Beckers in next year's draft. And look, if Phoenix makes the lottery, that means that if Phoenix is in the lottery, that means New York essentially has about a, at least a one in four chance to land that. Yeah. And, and just to, to clarify there, and thank you, M, for running through that. It was a 2025 pick swap. Mm-hmm. So... Phoenix is then going to get New York's pick in 2025. And as we know, the Liberty will be contending once again in 2024. So that could be a 12th overall, depending Mm -hmm. on what happens. It could be an 11th overall. It would be pretty shocking if it's not a double digit pick. So we're talking about a legit, like legitimately a about at least a nine spot difference in the swap. And next year's draft, uh, you know, a bunch of people from this class are definitely going to return to college. But assuming all of them go back to school, or sorry, assuming all of them go to the draft, which again, is definitely not going to happen. If that does, then next year's draft is pretty shallow too. Yeah. Anyway, so those are our reactions from the draft lottery. Coming up, we're going to talk a little bit more about the other lottery teams, LA in particular, We started on the Mercury, we'll hit Seattle, maybe we'll do a little bit of the Mercury, we'll see. Point is, we're talking about why this matters, also for the League too. But first, um, I want to remind y'all all about our wonderful sponsor, our title sponsor, Prize Picks. And so, with Prize Picks, Uh, And with the college basketball and NBA season officially here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball, including women's college basketball, from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. It's quite interesting. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey and Caitlin Clark at a 10.5 combo of three points made, and receptions. Interesting. Want to play alongside prize picks favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promo tab 
of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. Prize picks offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance program. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Well, thank you very much, Prize Picks. That combo thing is always so fascinating to me. That's why I ad-lib a little bit. I've never heard of anything like that. But anyway, we are back here with M. Adler. We are talking about the results of the draft lottery. We are talking about WNBA prospects as well. So, M, let's talk a bit about Los Angeles, what picking up the number two pick means for them. And as I said in the intro, it's been a long time since the LA Sparks had a lottery pick. Am I correct on this? They had a lottery pick after the 2021 season. That was the that was the second worst draft of this millennia. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to be dramatic. Like genuinely, oh, yeah. Dijon Carrington's breakout last year. I think she finished second in most improved player or something like that. She should have been higher. That's not the point. That is pretty much the only thing separating this from being the worst draft class in like the vaguely modern era. Um, that being said, they yeah they, they had a lottery pick. They uh, they took Jasmine Walker. Yeah, we all forget that draft for good reason. It's not like it really matters. But that being said, LA now has another lottery pick, and this time they have the opportunity to draft someone better than the best player available in that draft, which at that point was probably actually Mikaela Onyanwere, <laughs> who we talked about before. It was almost cut in camp. That being said, right, there are a lot of options here. Again, if you look at what's going on, and you know, like you mentioned before, this is something I put up in that, in that initial blog from yesterday, is Caitlin Clark is, for all intents and purposes, the unit, like not consensus, unanimous number one in this class. Uh, I think it's fair to have some concerns there as a prospect, but you're again, you're nitpicking at arguably like the greatest or second greatest guard prospect in league history. Behind that, again, Beckers would probably go second for most teams that I'm at least aware of. But if you think she goes back to school, you're immediately going to Cameron Brink. And I don't know of any teams, at least off the top of my head, at least from, you know, asking around. I don't know anyone that does not have Brink in the top three with those two. And so if you're LA, you are, and I can say they are, super excited about that pick. First of all, of course, you're excited to jump a spot in the lottery, but you're also super excited about the fact that you can get Cameron Brink, a player who, you know, when you're drafting this high and you're drafting with players who are this good, you don't draft for need, you draft for who is the best player available, like by far. And in that case, it's just really nice that it syncs up so well. You have a player who you know, in three, four years with with how the league goes, it's probably just going to be someone you kind of want to play at center the same way that, let's say, Ezzy Magbegor three years ago, it was a question of, was she a four, was she a five? Now it's clearly a five. It's that sort of thing. But you can play with the four or the five. And that that just mixes so well with Neko Kumike, who they've been kind of playing at the four, but they play their fives last year 
with Azure Stevens and Dierica Hamby in such a way that they're basically playing two four and a halves. That's exactly what you get with Cameron Brink. It's the same thing that allowed the the years with Candace and Neca to work so well was they were again they're they're both four and a half at least defensively and then you know when they were smart enough to not put John to Lavender on the court with him at the same time but the other thing is there you know Cameron Brake has said before how much she wants to or how amazing it would be for her to you know play for the expansion Golden State team that comes in in a couple years but it's barring something very strange and also fully unprecedented that an expansion team would not have a draft pick good enough to take Brink. And so you get the next best thing. You get a team two hours away um, that you get to play for and still stay in California. I, 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 most people I think would be very surprised if she returned to Stanford. She hasn't necessarily said anything one way or the other, but between being able to play in California this year, which she probably would not be able to next year, just given how the, the standings are likely to shake out when the, and with the uncertainty of the lottery, and with, you know, franchise on the rise, you get to play with Neko Gumike, probably get to play with Jordan Kanda, who's very good at setting up the bigs in that way, at least was last year. This is, a, this is such a really good situation to walk into as someone there. And, you know, for LA, it's it's a complete coup. You know, I I don't think that they know who they, who they probably would have wanted if they had stayed put at three. By jumping up to two, you, it takes the decision out of your hands in the best way possible. Yeah. And you're you're getting a generational talent in Cameron Brink. You're getting probably, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, WNBA draft expert, probably the best two-way player in the class. It depends on what you think of some other people, but certainly like the most sure player to be a two-way all-star. Absolutely. And we all know how uh, Kurt Miller teams play defensively. And and if you and if you look at Kurt Miller's legacy, he has certainly had a very very strong run of success with young with young bigs in this league. I mean, he developed, but but for some uh, but for some extremely early onset chronic arthritis, I believe it was uh, for Morgan Tuck. He and uh, again a couple very unfortunate uh, ligament tears for Shanae. He but for those two, you know, he developed genuinely five at least all-star bigs in Connecticut, none of whom besides Shanae were, were like super, like number one, number two, obvious MVPs. Yeah. I mean, you include. And it's the first young, it's, it's the first young, con- like, like future star controlled player that LA is in position to add since literally NECA. That's what I was saying where I was sort of like, well, wait a minute. When was the last time they had an opportunity like this? Mm-hmm. And obviously because of how unforgettable that 2021, or sorry, forgettable that 2021 draft was, and also thinking about who was in the front office for the Sparks in 2021. um, To me, this very much so seems like a, a great golden door opening for the Sparks, if that's how I can, can summarize it there. No, that's exactly how I would think about it. And I think, <clears throat> you know, if if that's a golden door, uh, open to some, <clears throat> I guess, somewhat surprisingly bright future, given where they could have been at this point last year, at this point a year and a half ago, then, you know, for Indiana, you go from having already walked that golden door to now you're just sort of like ascending a ladder to the palace. You know, Caitlin Clark, it certainly seems, as we discussed before, 
wants to be there. Caitlin Clark, again, it has the pedigree, has the pedigree, has the um, evaluation that she has. And she walks into a spot where they really, really could use a top point guard. Point guards still, even today in the league, although this draft class and the next, let's say three or four, have a very strong chance to completely invert uh, the sort of positional pyramid of the W. But again, still in today's league, it's very hard to get a good point guard if you don't have one and even harder to get some depth at that position. You know, it, not that matters for a team that's in the contention cycle where Indiana is in terms of depth, but when you look at what the setup is for next year, you have Kelsey Mitchell, who's been re-signed to, to I believe, something close to Supermax. You have... You're, you have presumably Caitlin Clark on first year of a rookie deal, Leah Boston, the second year of the rookie deal, Melissa Smith halfway through her rookie deal, Grace Berg on the second year of the rookie deal. Uh, Christy Wallace is still cost controlled for two more years. Erica Wheeler is getting paid next year. And you have a heck of a lot of cap space opening up after the 20. I mean, they, they have some to work with this season. They, they could make us take a swing if they wanted to. It's not a particularly uh, top heavy class. The year after that, they have a lot of space to work with. And that means they have a lot of time, not like two, three years, let's say, but they certainly have this season to work out what's going to work, what isn't. And that gives them a little bit of luxury to say, what are the dynamics between between uh, Kelsey Mitchell, Grace Berger, and Caitlin Clark and Christy Wallace? How can we play them off each other? Who do we need to, who maybe is of a different archetype? And we could probably send out, get an asset back and flip that for someone who works better. You know, is Melissa Smith actually going to be, is Melissa Smith going to be more like how, who she was in the second half of last season when, you know, she took a big scoring leap attacking closeouts, um, just punishing defenses for overplaying to Leah Boston. Uh, and then she was, she did that throughout all of last season, but the second half of the season, the three pointers were falling as well. You know, are the threes going to keep falling? Is the defense, honestly, is that ever going to come around? Because if it doesn't, again, still a good depth player, but then, if it doesn't, you, then you know you need a power forward going forward. And again, just given how much scoring that there is in this lineup, given the ability to do some interesting things defensively, again, you have a runway to actually figure that out and work with that. And, you know, I I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say that there is probably no team outside of this past year's uh, finals participants. There's probably no team better situated to uh, be a title contender, you know, from let's say 25 to 27. I agree with that. I also think um, I've been keeping tabs on all of what Lynn Dunn and Christy Sides, the GM and head coach of the Indiana Fever, have been saying. And Christy Sides was pretty open about it. She posted to her Instagram, I believe it was her, her grid. She sort of said, yeah, we're getting ready for a playoff run. Uh, this is, and Lynn Dunn has been pretty clear about it. This is the last year that the Fever want to be in the lottery. Um, yeah, were... something something has gone wrong and something would need to be like actually changed structurally if they don't make the playoffs this year, to, mm -hmm. to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. Before we move to our final segment, I just want to quickly talk about Seattle. And it was it was so sad watching the look on Noel Quinn's face. I mean, I had said previously that Seattle would have been a great fit for Cameron Brink, not just because I believe she grew up. She grew up, grew up near um, Washington, or did she grow up in, in Oregon? I should fact check this, but I don't think she grew up in, in California. I knew 
But anyway, Brink? yes. Brink was born in Oregon, but she was raised in the Bay Area. Ah, uh, I see. So, okay. So she was born in, in Oregon near Washington State. Anyway, this is this is a digression. I always made the connection that because she's so close to Susan Borchard, who is also very close to the Seattle Storm, that uh, those little connections would uh, would make for, for something special. But anyway, Seattle, they have the worst odds and they have the fourth overall pick. What does this mean for them? I think it means that they can get a power forward, which they really haven't had in a while. But what do you think? I think it's a little bit tricky because of Jordan Horston. And that's sure. not a and I don't mean that in a bad way. Horston ended up having in it by at least by rookie standards, an absolutely elite defensive season. She mm-hmm. flashed a lot of things offensively in a way that wasn't necessarily bad. But there were certain things, you know, the efficiency was god-awful in ways that I think were a little bit unexpected. Maybe they were because of, you know, rookie issues. We've seen players can take up to about three years in the league to actually have their finishing ability come back around to where it was in college. Horston wasn't necessarily a good finisher, but she was quite good enough is essentially Mm -hmm. where it was with that. And so, you know, what they're still trying to figure out is what is the best position to play her at? And I think... That's what you what you basically try to find out with pretty much any young player who isn't an obvious point guard, an obvious center. So where do you sort of fit them on the spectrum in between? And that's where this draft kind of gets tricky. That's not really a problem if you end up with, let's say, Aaliyah Edwards at number four, because Aaliyah Edwards is long, she's mobile, you can use her in space if you need be, and there's a lot of things you can do, uh, especially with, you know, if you had a front court of uh, Leah Edwards, Ezzie McGregor, and Jordan Horston, you can do a lot with those three players on the court at the same time and prob- and have possibly a very elite defensive structure for years. The issue is if it's not Leah Edwards, let's say the Mercury, or either keep the third pick and use it on Edwards or someone else trades for it and uses it, what do you do? Camilla Cardoso... I I feel like Seattle likes Cardoso as a prospect, you know, as it, just in terms of having probably the best upside of players beyond, you know, the four that we've mentioned so far. And we'll talk about her in segment three because you were there. Cardoso just doesn't fit next to Ezzy. Like, sure. that doesn't work. Ezzy should be playing the five. And even if you're playing her with, like, another four and a half, like Aaliyah Edwards, it's got to be mobile. It's got to be movable. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not to say that Cardoso doesn't have good, doesn't have, like, a good ability to contribute to WNBA. It's just stylistically that that is really hamstringing if you're at least your second best player right now. Rakia Jackson is, would be a good fit there, but then how do you feel about either having her or having Horston just guard threes pretty much all the time? It doesn't, it's not the easiest fit there. And they're, they're not in a good space. You know, this is just sort of what they've run themselves into because this is how the lottery works. They haven't, they've been good for long enough that this is sort of just what you're doing. It makes the rebuild process longer. We'll see what their odds are next year. I don't think anyone is going to expect them to be better than the bottom three in the league. And I think that's fair. We will see what happens. Um, I think next year's lottery is probably going to be the make or break for what they're going to do with it as Angel. That is that is a, a fair assessment. That is absolutely a fair assessment. I think Leah Edwards would be a great fit for them. But as you said, wh- what is Phoenix going to do, um, especially if Paige decides to stay? Anyway, coming up for a final segment, we're going to talk about some of the prospects that M was able to see live with her own eyes. She was at Mohegan Sun where 
a bunch of really talented college teams with potential WNBA prospects were there. But first, I want to talk to you all all about FanDuel. And so, apparently, there is a quarterback who has the same last name as a famous actor. He is, I think, playing sort of well or okay for my New York Giants. Um, I haven't watched the Giants in a while, but anyway. Um, So, score early this season, this NFL season, with FanDuel. America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money bet, money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, overs, unders, over, unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Thank you, FanDuel. And we are back. I'm here with M. Adler, and now we are going to get into some prospects that M. was able to see live yesterday. And so we'll go game by game. So the first game of this triple header, it was FSU and UCLA, The first name that comes to mind is Charisma Osborne. She's someone who has really taken advantage of coming back um, for her sixth year, I believe. So what were you, or fifth, why did I say sixth year? Fifth year. um, So Em, you saw her live. What did you make of, of what you saw and who she could be at the next level? Right, so there's a, there's a lot of players across all of the, the games in the triple header that different makeups, you know, some are Paige Becker's prospects. Some are, I guess, sticking with the same team, Aubrey Griffin, where you stay for a fifth year and, you know, you're still kind of interesting from like a W perspective, but it's not really much that like we're dwelling on too hard. We look, we have, it's not exactly big contributor level and you can just kind of move on. Chrisma Osborne is in that in-between mm-hmm. sort of space where it's, is really an issue of going into the 2022-23 college season, you know, given sort of the arc of her shooting, it was like, all right, she is just solidly a 34% three-point shooter. Um, and, you know, if there's a little kick up in that that we were kind of expecting, just because she had dealt with injuries the prior season, then that is great. And, uh, you know, that really plays up everything. And that and that, and that really plays up, you know, the, this sort of like second secondary ball handler versatile score aspect. The shot didn't fall last year. And it was, okay, we're seeing a different arc here. We're seeing a player who has, you know, been a three-point shooter between like 31 and 34% all four years. That kind of says something to you about her shooting ability. She's been hot shooting to start this year. And if that keeps up, then you kind of reevaluate things. She's certainly finally gotten more um, sort of point of attack on ball defensive reps. And I think she's held up well enough that it sort of affirms what we were saying without necessarily raising the ceiling or floor in any sense. But I think for the most part, we just kind of have to wait a couple more months and see, okay, is the shot still falling? And if so, you know, to what level, how much does that change the eval and, you know, where do we go with that? I think, you know, as far as that game went, it was a a sort of a blowout from the first quarter. FSU fought back in and for the most part, it was a vaguely interesting game. I think, I think it was sort of mostly the same from the last game there as well, you know, between UNC who, who unfortunately because of Deja Kelly's lack of a sort of three-pointer at least a consistent one 
and Alyssa Usby's uh, baffling inability to finish at the rim, UNC unfortunately just does not have any prospects I think that we're going to pay much attention to. They could be drafted, but it's it's a camp body. And, you know, on the UConn side of things, not much is really changing in terms of the evals there. I think Nika Mule hasn't really defended this as well this year as she did last year. She's not pressing the way that we had hoped, hopefully, that these injuries would force her into on offense. And that just sort of is 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 unfortunate from assessing where the offense can go. Paige is who yeah. she is. I continue to be really encouraged by her defense in, in ways that I'm probably the, honestly, I'm probably the highest on of literally anyone I've talked to. So we'll see where that goes. And Lee Edwards is good. That's that's how that is. But certainly I'm sort of leading to the most interesting game, uh, I think it was Utah, South Carolina. Yes, where we saw, and we, we spoke a bit about so and how she is very much so your typical back to the basket big who can rim protect. But it was very interesting to see her go up against Alyssa Peely, who is a prospect that is quite tough for people to place. And she's very talented. This is no this is no shading or shaming her at all. It's just her skill set is very unique. Yeah. Her her skill set, I would say, is is somewhat unique. Her skill set in the package it comes in is extremely unique. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I could spend certainly all day talking about her, and I <laughs> and I've already spent most of the day talking about prospects here as well. But you know. To kind of sum that up, I think the biggest thing from that matchup that we've really been looking forward to is that was really the first time that Utah, since Peely has gotten there, which started last year, so since the beginning of last season, this is the first matchup where Utah has really gone against WNBA caliber bodies, WNBA length at the five and the four, and then two. And to some extent, depending on how you look at prior matchups, the three as well, just all together. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Utah played LSU in a very inf- in the very infamous Elite Eight game last year. <laughs> and, you know, Angel Reese is is undersized for a center. And so that's why I'm saying, you know, Alyssa Peely, there's not a huge high difference there for how well she played in that game minus the fouls. So when you look at this, she is, Peely is very generously listed at 6'2". She's probably, she, she is probably a good six and a half inches shorter than Camilla Cardoso, and she was absolutely giving her work. The things that she can do were, I think, extremely eye-opening for me. They were extremely eye-opening, I know, for the other members of our scouting team, Lincoln Schaefer and Hunter Cruz. They were, I not maybe not necessarily eye-opening, but they were cert- they certainly added more weight and more importance to the question of how do you evaluate this package for the... Uh, uh, anonymous WNBA scouts and front office members who were there um, watching that unfold. She puts up 37 points uh, on, again, a bunch of w, genuine WNBA, not only like caliber bodies, but like people who project to be actual good defenders at the next level. Billy Cardoso has looked surprisingly good in dropping in space this year. And again, Alyssa Peely, th- th- it's, there's a lot to go off of there that I'm sure if you tune into this week's Saturday show, we will probably talk about in more depth. But I think I think just in terms of that, it was a very eye-opening performance. And you know, even though she dropped that many points, I think Camilla Cardoso at least held up at times enough with how tough of a matchup that was. That you know, there were there were pros and cons to her part of the game. But I think that they certainly did. It, certainly, the idea of what she can be as a defender at the next level didn't drop a whole lot at the very least. Absolutely. I mean, I can report that there are WNBA talent evaluators that see her as someone who can be a competent rim protector at the next level. They take a look at 
how many blocks she's racking up per game, as you said, how she plays well in drop coverage. Um, they see some upside there. Um, anyway, thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. I want to give a huge shout out to M. Adler for joining us, and I will give a plug for the, the draft pod that will be coming at the end of this week, which I'm sure the trio will dive into all of that film much more than we did this afternoon. But you can follow M at M underscore Adler or Emily Adler dot Bsky dot social. It's very confusing, but those are the main, I guess, usernames you can find M at on the interwebs. You can read her work at thenexthoops.com. You can listen to her weekly podcast with Hunter Cruz and Lincoln Schaefer on Saturdays here. Also, I forgot to mention that Lockdown Sports Today is a thing, and it is there is a 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube brought to you by Lockdown Sports Today. It's covering the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Lockdown, plus our national shows covering every week every league. Go to Lockdown Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. This has been Jackie Powell and I'm Adler. <laughs> and we are signing off. Enjoy your Monday, dear listeners. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's